you know, laughing on the outside, crying on the inside. Uh, no, I relate. I've been channeling my creative energies when I'm not doing this into ideas, not actual projects. Just uh-huh. you know, ideas about projects. Okay. You no, know, the follow through is not my strong suit. Uh, but I, I'm thinking that competition's probably going to be stiff, but we got to write a Trump biopic. Because <laughs> you know that that's going to be a movie one day. Oh, God. And so I want I want a piece of that, that sweet Trump exploitation money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, where do we start? Should we, should we start with a script? Do we start with an actor in mind? Director? I, well, I, I would imagine that Oliver Stone would direct it just because that's his ilk. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got three presidents already under his belt. He'd probably pay us <laughs> to, to, to direct. Which, to, to direct or write? <laughs> Both, <laughs> I imagine. we got to secure those rights. <laughs> well, I was thinking, even if we can't get the rights, we could just do a stupid Gus Van Zandt-esque thing where it's about a tyrannical president, but no <laughs> one in particular. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like Elephant or Last Days or something. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, just a cheap cop-out that we, so we don't have to buy any, any rights from anyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then the idea is, do we make this super serious drama, in which case who do we cast, or do we make it just like a two-hour lampoon fest where <laughs> we get, you know, Alec Baldwin to play Trump for two hours and just get some SNL writers to, like, chip in some jokes. I don't see why we can't mash the two together and have parts of it be, you know, like, from Trump's perspective, which would be similar to, like, Clean Shaven. Okay. Which are very gritty and um, obviously coming from the brain of somebody who's detached from reality. So from his point of view, do we have, like, Dwayne Johnson playing him? (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. And then the from reality, we have Alec Baldwin playing him. Yeah. Okay. I like this. <laughs> I'm getting arty now. <laughs> I'm all about genre blending, so I don't see why we can't. Should we have to... two different directors, too? Oh, there we go. Uh, so I, and, I, a diff- I... and an editor that's never worked with either of them and just... <laughs> and doesn't work with them in the editing. <laughs> yeah. Just like, here's just raw a big footage. surprise. Yeah. Okay. Move can... it together. See what we see Make what this work. Uh yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh so Joel Schumacher, of course, will do the one from inside <laughs> Trump's head. We're gonna get like a number twenty-three vibe going on. <laughs> I was thinking he'll just direct it as if he's still directing the Mr. Freeze scenes. <laughs> just terrible, terrible puns. Maybe that should just be the script, too, is just the Mr. Freeze lines <laughs> and puns. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see this working. And then we just get some five-year-old to write the stuff that he says in real life. <laughs> we could dub over a five-year-old just saying random things, and uh, we'll place that into the actors. Sort of like drunk history situation. I was going to say it's going to sound like Ike from uh, South Park. Yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for the comedy, I mean, the comedy part's going to be just straightforward, right? Uh, yeah. That yeah. kind of writes itself. I mean, we could just take direct quotes and it'll be funny, like how they did with like, Tina Fey and Sarah Palin, where it was like almost just word for word exactly. quote. <laughs> uh, I, I do like this idea of dual casting, because uh, then we can, like, from his point of view, we can make all women who are you know, not tens, just sort of grayish blobs in his eyes. <laughs> and then the women that are attractive are, of course, like, pristine. But it's going to be, like, drunk goggles, where, like, every woman that he sees that he's attracted to is coming on to him. Mm-hmm. And then we can cut to, like, real life, where they're, like, actively trying to <laughs> He just leans in and kisses because he can't help himself. Yeah, too. exactly. Can't stop himself. Okay, um, yeah, this is coming along. I like it. Mm-hmm. Do we have anyone in mind for, say, I don't know, Steve Bannon? Uh, yeah, see. But now we have to think of two different I mean, casts. Speaking of gray blobs. <laughs> God, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that guy is just like the gross shit under like my toilet ring. 
Just the, the living embodiment of like that place that's hard to scrub in your toilet. Maybe we should just scrape some of that <laughs> off of your toilet, form it into a little mound, and uh, call it a day. <laughs> there you go. Well, that, that'll be fine for the reality portion of the movie. <laughs> we need to come up with something really disgusting for that. <laughs> yeah. Kellyanne Conway is just a, a fried piece of hair. <laughs> I was thinking, like, a starved vulture <laughs> with a wig. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh... I was also thinking that because Trump does have like a history of like working with some women, like he does like like you know Amorosa's obviously. That's the first one that came to mind for me. I'm thinking that in his view, though, that like when women in his world like reach a certain status, they should just be played by men, like not drag. (laughs) He should just see them as dudes at that point. Yeah, they, they they cease being women. He upgrades them to status of dude. Mm-hmm. It's a promotion. Yeah, <laughs> you've achieved the status of man. <laughs> no higher rank. <laughs> uh, I do love that SNL is using women to play all the men in his cabinet. I think that's brilliant. Yes, I mean at this point, especially because you know that he's watching the show. Yeah, and you know, maybe getting his news from there. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Melissa McCarthy playing Sean Spicer. Oh, I so, love it. Just beautiful. beautiful. I love how Rosie's like, please make me Steve Bannon, please. Yeah. And it's like, yes, yes. that would piss him off so much. And she kind of looked like him. I mean, it's great. It's really yeah. great. <laughs> All right, well, uh, next week I'll have a, a full wish list cast list. Okay, yeah. Um, and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. I, I, I don't see how this can't get green-lighted. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Mildred Pierce 2 is clearly on its way. <laughs> Still fielding calls on that one. <laughs> Jeez. <it's> rough. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still interviewing secretaries, but shortly we'll be, uh, we'll have an assistant. Uh, make sure you get one that can be promoted to manhood. <laughs> it's fine if they start off as women, but, you know, you need to know they can make that leap. Well, let them know there's room for expansion. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Oscars aired yesterday. Oh, okay. Of course, we're recording this before yesterday has occurred. <laughs> so, I hope the... Film and people won that everyone hoped would win. Here, wait. Maybe maybe I can edit this in post-production and so we'll say like, God, can you believe that? Suicide Squad. One. Yeah, that was a real shocker. <laughs> it was like being in November all over again. <laughs> wow, and then Emma Stone. One best actress. Couldn't believe it. She was awful in that. <laughs> Man, and how about that joke where Mel Gibson got nominated? Personally, I think his career has faded. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot different from last year in this following way. Jimmy Kimmel made fun of Matt Damon. There, topical. I'll <laughs> allow for those edits. <laughs> Ready to jump in? Yeah. I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie, actually. Uh, so I w- decided that I wanted to make you watch Under the Skin. Okay. From, oh, I didn't write down, 2014? Sounds right. Um, <laughs> Starting out strong. I uh, know. Directed, <laughs> directed by Jonathan Glazer, who um, is a, for, was first known as a commercial director yeah doing lots of commercials which is a real fun rabbit hole to fall down it and, is this was sort of fun to do like this challenge because instead of watching like other movies by this director it was music videos and commercials yeah exactly and they're really fun to watch yeah and you can digest a lot it's 
funny how funny some of his commercials are. Yeah. But he does not direct comedies, nor are there really any elements of comedy in his movies. I would say there's some laughing moments in Sexy, Sexy Beast. Beast a little bit. Maybe. Awkward comedy. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. As Ben Kingsley's about to, like, rip your throat out. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, it might be... Because I watched... There was a trailer for Sexy Beast on some movie that I used to watch over and over again. And that trailer kind of made it seem like a, a snatch kind of situation, mm-hmm. like kind of funny. Um, but then I saw a trailer for it today when I was going through other stuff about him. And it they made it seem like a real dark yeah, like crime thing. Um, and I remember now that I'm thinking about it, the movie is kind of dark. Yeah. It's, it's shot well and cool, but a lot of people die. Yeah. <laughs> Violently. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a grim movie. And not in a fun way. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but yeah, it's a grim one. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they were probably trying to, to cash in on that sweet snatch money. Yeah. Or like Ocean's Eleven probably came out around the same time. I think they were trying to get in on that. Um, but, uh... Just before we dive into the movie, I there were a few, a lot of the commercials I hadn't seen before, but a lot of them were really good. Yeah. Um, I really liked one he made uh, for Wrangler Jeans. Did you see that one? Uh, I think so. It's, it's got the Yellow Brick Road song playing, and it's just like, follows this dude who's basically hitchhiking across America. Yeah. You kind of get that that vibe. Um, but it was, it was really great, and quietly subversive, because there's a, a romantic tryst, another dude that happens in it in the very oh. beginning. That was oh yeah, I do remember that one. That was cool because it happened so fast; you don't really think it's there, but then on a second viewing, it's like, no, that's definitely a dude he's sleeping with. So that was kind of cool. Also, rabbit in your headlights video. Yeah, definitely. And virtual insanity. Yeah, it's got a lot. A lot yeah, of yeah. No, check he, out. He's, he's a talented director, and yeah, and the rabbit in your headlights video has a uh, what's his face in it. Mm-hmm. His name I can't remember now. Dennis something. Levant. There you go. Uh, well, anyway, I, I kind of like starting with that, because then you know where he's coming, you kind of know where his headspace is. I mean, I th- think that, like, goes well into starting this movie out, because I think he's best as a director mm-hmm. when he juxtaposes surreal with real. Okay. And this movie has that, does that really well, Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I was going to say that this was sort of a good follow-up to Clean Shaven mm-hmm. because Clean Shaven had such a you know unique use of sound and sound mixing, and oh, yeah. so did this. Yeah. But Clean Shaven was sort of like scrappy, all over the place type thinking, like it, you know scatterbrained almost. Right. Uh, and it was like taking these you know unfocused ideas and kind of forcing them into a movie, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it felt like. Like it was all over the place. Sure. Whereas. Jonathan Glazer with this movie, he's very, he's a tactician with his sound. Right. You know, I mean, near the beginning when ScarJo is sort of assuming the skin sure. of this woman uh-huh. and they're in just a totally white place. Right. And the sound sounds kind of muted or muffled mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, I don't know if it's a filter or what. Uh, it's super dry. There's no like resonance or yeah. reverb or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it just, it, you know, the scene looks sort of strange, but the sound to it also adds to that strangeness. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it felt like a good follow-up to Clean Shaven because this was like, you know, there was a clear focus and intent. But, you know, last week I was talking about how sound is one of those things that directors don't really take advantage of enough. Right. But with this one, Jonathan Glazer very much took advantage of it. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about that when I picked it, but I noticed, I did notice the sound design a lot more this time around, Mm -hmm. and that they kind of fuck with the sound a little bit. There's times, like, when she's in the club, Mm -hmm. they blow out the the sound, so it's, like, overdrive distortion on the music that's playing, Um, and that creates, like, you know, a sense of, like, it's too loud for her. Mm. Uh, and like there's there were just like subtle effects that he was throwing on everything that would make it it sort of like makes it seem like foreign a little bit like okay. you're hearing it kind of in a new way um which is how she's experiencing mm-hmm. everything basically um so it's subtle but it's clever yeah yeah he i mean his years of directing music videos i think kind of gave him a sixth sense for how like sound and visuals come together mm-hmm. uh and yeah, he, he, he uses it quite well. And, and he uses it in a way that he didn't, or at least not noticeably, use it before. 
sure. Sexy Beast and Birth, like they they were interesting. They had good performances from their lead, you know, actors, but it wasn't really the same sort of arty sensibilities that you see in this, right? Uh, but likewise, you know, and you know, Scarlett Johansson sort of a controversial figure not everyone appreciates her her mm-hmm. acting style and abilities but uh it, it's sort of the opposite here not to say that she's bad but it's not the tour de force that we see with ben kingsley or nicole kidman mm-hmm. in his previous two films here she's muted she's dry uh it's a lot more her performance is more cerebral i guess mm-hmm. and i get the impression he kind of just let her go. I think he gave her some guidelines, okay. especially in the beginning stuff where she's, you know, interacting with just people off the street. You know, you can't really direct that. You can kind of say, I mean, those, here's those some are, tips. Yeah, those are non-professional actors, yeah. too. Like and they... she has to act, basically. She's improving. Yeah. Um, and there were, like, there was one device that she kept doing at the very beginning, which I thought was cool, where she'd ask a question, and then they'd say their answer, and she'd just repeat back that answer as a question. So, mm. like, there's one where she says, like, what do you do? And he says... I'm an electrician. She goes, oh, you're an electrician. And it's like, she's saying those words so that she can say them later, you know? Okay. She's like, electrician, kind of practicing. She's basically. filing them away. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of cool because it's a real subtle nod to the, she's like, figuring out this language, et cetera, et cetera. So, but she had to act that, right? So yeah. that's not, that's not written. Yeah, it's one of those movies, I mean, this got compared a lot to Stanley Kubrick films. And, I mean, rightfully so. Rightfully so. I mean, a lot of times, you know, there's like the scene where it's like the, I mean, it looks like blood, but you don't know what it actually is. Like after her first feeding, right. where it's it looks like blood going down a conveyor belt. I'm like, you you got to compare this to 2001. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't, you can't not. Yeah, and I don't, and I feel like Jonathan Glazer would have to know that as well. Oh yeah, well, there's if you look at his music videos, there's two. There's a. Um, a Massive Attack one, Karma Color, I think is what it is, that is an, has an obvious nod to The Shining. Oh, okay. And then there's a blur one yeah. that has an obvious nod to Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. So yeah. it's like he's telling people, I like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- there, was, there was two things. Last time I saw this was in theaters. Mm-hmm. And there was two changes to my perception of this. One is that, A, it's aching for the big screen. I definitely found mm. my attention waning a little bit on home viewing. Sure. I remember watching in theaters and like every scene I was just like, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And this time I'm like, yeah, that's all right. So it, it big screen in the dark was really the way to, to experience this one. Yeah. Uh, but I am glad that I got to watch this version with subtitles because I cannot understand Scottish people <laughs> for the life of me. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't even sound like a language to me. <laughs> you know, when someone's speaking French, I can tell that it's French. Scottish just sounds like garbage. <laughs> I cannot make it out for the life of me. When I, went, uh, when I was in New Zealand a hundred years ago, uh, I went to a, a movie that was a Scottish movie. Mm. Um, and they played it with subtitles. Okay. And I thought that was ridiculous at first. But every time I tried covering up the subtitles and just listening to people, I had no idea what they were saying. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's much different. I can watch Irish movies just fine, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, movies from the you know uh, England just fine. But Scottish, that accent gets it's so tough. thick. And I wonder if that's a choice. I mean, I know the novel takes place in Scotland, so that's probably partially why I said it there. But it's like, is that another step of alienation for us as the audience? I, so I wondered that too. No, they're speaking English, but not understanding it. Yeah, I, I wondered that too. If we were supposed to try and be picking up the same way that she's trying to pick up what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I appreciate, I find the movie slightly more enjoyable knowing what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. So, we get a lot of dicks in this movie. Oh, full masked ones, too. Yeah. The the first guy that she lures back, this that's a full roll of quarters he's got there. Two mess sins. <laughs> yeah. Three words. Two mess sins. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate because there's a lot of hubbub before the movie came out. It's like, this is like the one where ScarJo bears it all and stuff like that. Uh, and she's got a fine form. I can see why the, why the, the regular breeders out there are clamoring for sure. a piece of that. But it's refreshing. Kind of like with a Return of the Living Dead, where Dan O'Bannon was like, yeah. if I so many ladies were going to be in the audience, I would have had so-and-so get naked, the dude. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I mean, not that the... the 
the Scottish street trash that she was bringing home was <laughs> like super like not like I had the full mass that they had, <laughs> but it's at least nice to you know. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because she doesn't feel objectified because since she's like the hunter basically in this situation. Yeah, I don't. I and maybe this is because I'm gay. I don't know, but I definitely was not feeling like she was the one we should be ogling. Yeah, a lot of times with movies, you know, like with Eyes Wide Shut, the nudity seems... Not that it's not important, but it also does kind of seem stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, the orgy scene, it's important, but, like, the ladies are so much more nakeder than the men in that orgy scene. Yeah. Like, the men are fully clothed, just, like, with their, like, dicks hidden behind naked lady parts. Right. It's like Game of Thrones, where... They'll throw in a Hodor penis every, you know, season. And then be like, look, we show male nudity. And it's like, yeah, but you show lady parts all the time. But I think in Game of Thrones, I thought the first D was from that redheaded dude. I can't remember his name now. Probably. (laughs) Probably. He was good looking, though. I mean, I'm not complaining when I see it. He's kept it tight. I want more. (laughs) Don't, don't... Don't serve my ice cream in a tiny bowl. <laughs> I want <to> gorge. <laughs> so yeah, I think we get three Ds in this movie. Yeah, at least three, for sure. And only one naked lady. That's true. So, yeah. Nice little tit for tat. I'll t- <laughs> As it were. <laughs> tit for tit for dick. Tit for dick. Mm-hmm. Work on that. Uh... But yeah, that, I mean, and then that's what I mean by Jonathan Glaze is really successful at creating surreal versus okay. real. When yeah. he puts those two together, he, he just has a real knack for that, for, for just taking something that's completely surreal and weird and makes you feel something like an emotional thing that like only film can do, but then also like marrying it with, with reality. And I kind of think that may be born out of the commercial part of him. Oh, sure. Because it's like you can create these escapes or like emotional feelings but it always gets tied back into reality because you're selling something sure you know what i mean so he's he's kind of got that in his brain of like those two kind of marrying um and it and it just works really well in this movie um because you get taken out of reality a lot you know like that whole scene where he's just floating when we actually go under the water yeah whatever it is um is just you know completely surreal and weird and, and strange yeah. But then it just cuts right back to her sitting in a car, listening to the radio, you know? Yeah, he's good at sort of isolating emotions. Like, e- each of those sort of surreal moments kind of captured a specific feel. Like, and, I mean, I think that also kind of goes back to, like, his music video days or his sure. commercial days. Because it's like, you only had so much time, you had to get across, like, y- you know, one idea. Right. And then the video was done. Right. Uh, so I think he's, he's go you know, he goes into a scene thinking like, this is what I want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's gotten good at that. Like yeah. he knows what he wants and he knows how to get it, you know, from whatever scene that he's directing. Yeah. Uh, and then when it's done, he moves on, you know. And uh, it felt like he was doing that with a lot of confidence in this movie. Yeah. Until she goes rogue. Okay. Like, I feel like. Here's my deal. I don't know. The the movie is really strong, I feel, until that point. Okay. Um, and then, like, it doesn't fall apart, but I just, I, I'm filled with so many questions after that point that I don't understand her motivations anymore. Well, I was kind of viewing this as, like, the woman who fell to Earth, uh, where it's, like, David Bowie, like, comes down to get, like, water mm-hmm. for his dying planet. Right. And is corrupted by Earth values. Right. I feel like this is kind of like the flip side of that coin where she's coming down to harvest humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she gets corrupted by like a sense of compassion. Because she runs into the deformed man. Right. And instead of harvesting him, she lets him go. And I think it was the, the sense of compassion grew within her. And she couldn't do that anymore. Like, she saw the inside of the slaughterhouse, and suddenly she couldn't eat meat again. I was going to say, was this just, like, one big pita video for her? And she well, because she like... tries to eat the cake in that one scene, yeah. and she can't. I just chalked that up to her trying to empathize with humans, because that's her bag now that she's gone mm-hmm. rogue. 
but she can't because it's just a suit. And as an alien, she can't actually put anything in her. Because that black alien suit, like at the end when she takes off the suit, doesn't look like it has any holes in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It didn't talk, so. I know. <laughs> Maybe that mouth opened. I don't know. But um, I didn't quite understand the motivation for going for going rogue, other than suddenly getting this feeling. And I, I mean, I had a lot of questions about that. Like, is she... Is she just designed to hunt and then suddenly realizes, I don't want to do this, like, I hate my job kind of situation? Or is this, like... <laughs> she gets her I hate Monday <laughs> mug out yeah. and <laughs> just, like, throws the rag down on the on the counter and says, see ya! <laughs> uh, or is, is, this, is she, like, a scientist suddenly and she's like, you know, I don't like killing these things anymore. I want to go explore them. Yeah. Even though I know that means death for me. I mean, like, I just... I, I didn't get a real crystallized idea of why she left. Yeah, I think part, I, when I was watching this, I was like, this is the anti-Inception. Like, this is a science fiction movie with almost no exposition or no explanation <laughs> for what's happening. Yeah. And I was just fine with that. I, I, normally I would be. It just I felt like that point specifically, mm, I would like a little more clarification on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It For some reason, maybe it's because I knew that, not that the movie's plotless, but that I wasn't going to get a lot of explanation. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just like went into it like being totally okay with wherever, whatever turn this took. Sure. Uh, because yeah, for for some reason it just makes sense that like she suddenly no longer wants to hunt humans. That you know she grows this sense of compassion and you know maybe just tries to like fit in, and it doesn't work out so well. Yeah, I mean I'll take that uh, as as my as the explanation. Uh, but I guess I, I want to go back and say that that's one nice thing about this movie, though, is that um, it's kind of so ambiguous that each time you watch it, you can interpret it a different way if you want to. Uh, I definitely remember on this viewing, there's a scene near the beginning where she's at the beach. Oh, yeah. And the dog is getting pulled out by the tide and mm -hmm. then the owners go swimming in after it. And I remember when I saw it in theaters, like my heart was breaking for that dog and I'm watching it this time, I'm like, oh wait, those people are getting sucked out too. Yeah. <laughs> and I do not care about those people getting sucked out, but I hope that dog's okay. We've talked about this before. <laughs> that like... our, our sympathies run deep for animals <laughs> on film, but you can pretty much like show infanticide and we'll be okay. Like that baby had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that baby was asking for it. Um, yeah. Just real quick, while we're talking about that scene, it's filmed really cool. Because it's shot, like, cold. Yeah. Cool distance. Yeah. You're just, like, it's there's no flashy camera work. It's just, like, steady, like, oh, they're being dragged out. Yeah. I mean, the movie, for the most part, the, the direction in terms of, like, how the camera moved was pretty, you know, I don't want to say limited, but... It wasn't flashy. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the actual cinematography, I don't think, drew a lot of attention to itself. It was more the images on screen, like, the otherworldly sense of, you know, what was happening inside the frame rather than how the frame was moving with... Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's a scene, like, where they're underwater, uh, and you hear that, like, pop, and, like, the guy starts, like, deflating. And right. It's like that. You know, the, the actual direction of the scene... They're just floating middle, yeah. middle screen. Yeah, basically. it was nothing special, but like what you're seeing is very mesmerizing. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about that too while watching this, is that there are plenty of static scenes in this movie, where it's just the camera set in one spot, showing, you know, mm -hmm. one thing Waiting for, for the while. bus is one that's a really good example. Uh, and usually I hate that in modern movies and that's one of the reasons that i have a problem with michael haneke mm. is that he does a lot of that yeah. like just the cameras right there like the end of cachet like i just want to like throw my television out the window. <laughs> um i but, feel like that's really tense but whatever <laughs> we can talk about that some other day <laughs> and and here for some reason it works and i think because it's what we're seeing is so like visually arresting uh and it's so interesting and it like it draws out, like, a very strong emotion, you know, watching some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that it it's so, like, expertly executed that, you know, like, the scene when 
whenever she lures someone back to her place and they're walking and like suddenly it's like water but like just the way that they sink down yeah and their reaction which is usually they don't have a reaction it, it it's strange so you're like why don't they have a reaction to they're this? They're just so like, blinded by lust or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it, 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 the way that they show it is so well done. You know, you, as the audience member, you don't see the water. Right. I have um, no idea how they filmed that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of scenes like that where I'm like, how did they do that? It's yeah. Pretty incredible. I, and we can't talk about those scenes without also talking about the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which is so good. I mean, this is sort of... Mika, Mika Levi is her name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of like Queen Shaven 2, where the sound mixing and the soundtrack were very complimentary to one another. Sure, yeah. That, you know, it wasn't always clear where one started and the other began. Mm-hmm. Or one ended and the other began. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely had, like, a sense of presence in its soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still minimalist. Yeah. Well, and the, just the economy of the, of the visuals of that, too, is really great, because it's literally just two people on a screen, yeah. and one is sinking into the floor. Yeah. That we can't see. Yeah. <laughs> Which is cool. Yeah. I mean, the scene when she, like, adopts her, her persona, it's all white. Yeah. And really, like, it's just the, the muffled sounds that we're hearing as she kind of walks around the, the cadaver. Uh, Did you take that to be, like... Her predecessor, basically. Oh no, I thought it was like a former human. Okay, that's what I thought. Hmm. I, I kind of this time around, I saw it as another alien oh. that uh, like had the problems that she had, like started empathizing, and then the oh. motorcycle man caught up with her, oh. and then brought her back, and it's like, well, now it's your turn, Scarjo. And that's what I meant by, like, is she kind of manufactured us in to be a hunter? And that's why she's like, I don't... Fuck this job, you know? Like... Yeah. I don't know. That's a good point, though. I, I was thinking... And it kind of looked like Scarlet Joe Yeah, Hansen, So that's why I was like, maybe they just have a model that they keep... I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but yeah, what's... Motor, is Motorcycle Dude her manager? I mean, I think so. I always wondered why the Motorcycle Guy also didn't hunt people. Yeah. I was like, if they all have to eat... Then... Maybe ladies aren't as yummy. Because I, I feel like, maybe... I know I feel that way. <laughs> Hungry for some men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, but then that was another question I had, is why, why bother continuing to follow Motorcycle Man once she goes rogue? Because it's like, once he kills the guy with the face... There's Don't get too specific. <laughs> they, like, he keeps coming back to the motorcycle dude, and it's like, yeah. he's outlived his purpose now. Yeah. Maybe it's just to keep tension going, like, because I knew how, how it ended, but if you didn't know how it ended, maybe it was scary to think of him chasing her. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, because in the end, he's not super do important anything. to the, the story, but yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well... Yeah, that it, bothered me. <laughs> yeah, it, I, and and for me, I guess I just wasn't looking for hard and fast plot points. It just didn't seem sure, sure. Especially this time around, it just didn't seem like a movie that really needed a full explanation for for those sorts of things. I guess my thing was because last the first time I saw this, I didn't know how how I felt about it. I remember okay. having like reactions to things, but still not completely comprehending. Maybe okay. Um, and so this time I was really looking for some solid sort of comprehension through line storyline and then kind of interpreting what I felt from about it from there. So that's why I have just all these questions. Uh, I, I watched 2001 probably back in November or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't realize how shoehorned the last segment of the movie is. It's like after he deactivates Hal, he's suddenly at Jupiter... Right. And then, like, we get, like, the weird visual thing, and then him, like... With the monolith and stuff. Yeah, and then, like, him, like, in, like, the hospital room with, like, the older version of himself. There's no explanation for any of that. No. Uh, and I'd forgotten about that. It's it, When he deactivates Hal, it, it kind of comes to a logical conclusion there. And then we have this, like, 20, 25-minute segment, and it has nothing to do with, like, anything, really. I mean, maybe in the book... There's a big explanation to it, 
but it certainly does not come across that way in the movie. Right. Uh, but yet I never hear anyone talk about how there's basically a 30-minute epilogue in this <laughs> that really has no reason other than just to look cool visually. Yeah. I had... The first time I watched it, I really thought about it, and I remember I had some sort of... Uh, I made some sort of twisted way to make it work that they were like once humans touched that monolith, like the way that the the uh, monkeys did in the beginning or chimpanzees, whatever. Then then they there would be that next leap, mm. whatever it would be. Yeah. And but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to watch it again to really get my. Get an essay going or whatever. I mean, it's worth watching just because Pierre Doulet, Doula is so hot. That's true. He's, he's a cutie. He's a cutie. Two things. Um, I'd be curious to see... I mean, I've read a couple feminist takes on this movie, but I'd really like to hear what a lady thinks about this movie. Like, Do you know what's it? <laughs> yeah, but none that have seen it. <laughs> just like... Does, is it? Hey, is mom! It... <laughs> Rented a movie for you. <laughs> Get back to me with your thoughts. <laughs> this would definitely be a movie that. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to spin it with some positive connotations. Because <laughs> uh, it starts out, she's super powerful. You know, she's super powerful. Well, but I mean, she's able to lure these dudes. She's like the huntress. Yeah, she's able to lure dudes with her sexuality. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure ScarJo can do that in real life. Yeah. Probably. So, and I don't put her in the super category. <laughs> so just, she is power. Yeah, she she is woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we hear her roar <laughs> in this movie. No, she's pretty quiet for the most part. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say a lot. Uh, but then I was also wondering, what if... Uh, instead of making it Scarlett Johansson, what if it was a, uh, a black character? How would that change this movie? Mm, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know what the state of racism in Scotland is. Right, 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 right. Um, or resetting it somewhere where... Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that changing a certain dynamic, depending on, yeah, where it took place. You know, just because if it's called under the skin and like she's trying mm. to, you know, I don't know, find that thing that we're all the same under the skin. Like, could you do an interpretation of this? Is that what the themes of this movie are? Well, I mean, maybe. We're all the same under the skin? <laughs> Wasn't that what oh. she was trying to do? You just blew my mind. <laughs> I don't know. Something I was... Something I was kind of toying with, chewing around in my brain a little bit. I still don't know where I land on this movie. Oh, really? I think I I, I like it more this time around. Okay. Um. Just it just leaves me a lot of questions. All right. So on the Riddler scale of of no and question mark. <laughs> uh, I mean full question. Full question between mark. the two, because <laughs> I like it and I I actually enjoyed the whatever hour and forty minutes that it is today watching it. Uh, you just you watch this today. <laughs> Did I say today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you thought it was an hour thirty five minutes, which is why you're five minutes late. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I get it done. I think that we turn out some real quality pod week after week. <laughs> so, what is your thoughts on Scarlett Johansson? Outside. Just general? Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's real hit or miss. Okay. I, Ghost World, I remember seeing and thinking, that girl is great. Okay. Who, who is that? Um, and then I've kind of just gone back and forth. Like, I love her in this movie. I think that there's something about her sort of... Um, kind of vapid beauty mm. but like she's all she also manages to be kind of warm in a way mm. i don't know in this movie she disappears i don't see scarlett johansson as much as i see some weird alien slash construction whatever it is i use those exact words for the nanny diaries <laughs> 
now that I'm thinking about it, I haven't seen a whole lot of movies that she's in. Avengers? Or Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm not going <laughs> to judge acting based on those. <laughs> Why not? Robert Downey Jr. is great in those movies. I know, but that's not what those movies are about. Okay, what about the, the Woody Allen movies that she's in? Like Match Point? I didn't see it. No. I know Jonathan Reese Myers. Yeah, he's pretty he's yeah, he's yeah. Top of his game. Yeah. Um yeah, I also didn't see the Black Dahlia. Oh well that movie's shite, so <laughs> Don't bother. Yeah, don't bother with that one. Um yeah, I don't know. How, what are your feelings? Uh I like her. Uh and I feel like it's slightly controversial to say because I feel like it's really easy for attractive white women to just get a buy in Hollywood. Like, they don't have to have any acting ability, mm-hmm. you know, to a, a great extent at least. Sure. Um, and, and the same with men. I feel, you know, young, good-looking actors totally get a buy as right. well. Uh, and I feel like Scarlett Johansson, I mean, she can phone it in like the rest of them, but I feel like she can also really, like, turn it around and be very charming and very seductive uh, and really, you know, work it. Like, it, it's it's that nice combination of, like, she knows that she's attractive, but she also knows how to be sexy and sensual. Like, she knows... I think that's one of the reasons why those scenes where, like, her just sort of talking with the non-professional actors right. works so well. Right. Because she, she actually knows how to flirt. Right. Like, she actually knows how to interact with everyday human beings like she knows like how she she's aware enough of how she looks and acts and sounds mm-hmm. and can use that as a tool mm-hmm. you know she doesn't just play like the dumb blonde card or like the sexy baby card like she actually knows how to like interact and flirt yeah um so i i appreciate i i think she's actually a pretty good actress so I, and I, I feel like I'm saying something super controversial by <laughs> by going to bat for Scar Joe. X-rated, taking a stand. <laughs> we like Scarlett Johansson. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> Follow-up movie is obviously The Island, if you, <laughs> if you love ScarJo so much. Let's see, it's a Ewan McGregor movie, so something tells me you've already seen it. <laughs> My lawyer won't let me answer this question. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not allowed to say. I currently have a restraining order. I, it's not that, it's a little less than that. I don't remember what the actual words are. It's but. just a cease and desist. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll call it that. Dear Mr. Whedon, please stop, stop sending our le- your letters. Stop. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> McGregor does not appreciate them. Stop. I mean, I bought 5,000 postcards for a reason. <laughs> I, I hate talking about taking edibles. Okay. Because I... I don't, I'm not really, I don't identify myself with, like, pot culture. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like just saying that, like, I took an edible, like, puts me into that category, and I don't sure. like being put into that category. Let's Well, then let's just say real fast, living in Washington. Pot's legal. Yeah, we have, it's really been destigmatized. Yeah. So it's like, you can just be an average anybody, and, yeah. like, on the weekends or at night, when you're done off work, you can pop an edible and call it an evening. And yeah. it's like, no... Like, everybody does it. Yes. <laughs> there's no stigma about it anymore. Yes. <laughs> uh, especially because, like, there's, like, two pot shops within, like, six blocks of where I work. Yeah. You know? I mean, I can't even count how many, like, head shops there are. So many. But, I mean, in terms of, like, actual places that sell, like, pot products. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's two within walking distance of my work. I would say these days there's no difference between saying, oh, I got home from work and I had an edible... And I got home from work and I poured myself a glass of whiskey or something yeah, like that. You yeah. know, it's the same same thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying that to berate you. I'm just saying that to berate anyone who's going to stigmatize it. Uh, I took an edible and watched rewatched Suspiria. Oh. Uh, which is a great movie to watch 
uh, under the influence. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. And just like the very beginning of that movie, it's like Jessica Harper's at the airport and she's going to the dance studio and then like she gets there and there's a murder. I was thinking, I'm like, this would be a climax in a normal movie. Like, he's just got like the soundtrack like assaulting you and there's, you know, I mean, the movie's famous for its like use of like very vibrant colors. That's when the heart gets stabbed, right? Is in the first yeah. scene? Yeah. I remember thinking... Jeez, yeah, <laughs> we're just jumping right in. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, it's like the first like ten minutes or so. I'm like, a normal horror movie. This would be the end. This is the climax. Yeah, and this is his. And then he just like flips the switch off. He's like, okay, we got got to establish some characters for a little right. while. Yeah, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, oh man, this is crazy. I'd forgotten how crazy that movie gets. Yeah. Uh, the I always remember that first scene where the heart gets stabbed. And then uh, when she falls into just the room with barbed barb wire. wire. Yeah. It's just a... Why do they have that laying around? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It... I don't know. The, it was definitely more effective for me this time around than when I previously saw it, which was probably like 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to forget how bold Dario Argento used to be. If you watch any of his movies from, I'm going to say, like the past 20 years... Mm. Oh boy, you are in for some real garbage. I saw one that starred his daughter in the last decade that he directed. Oh yeah, she's been in a couple of his. Mm. I just remember being unimpressed. Yeah, was it Mother of Tears? <laughs> Probably. That sounds accurate. <laughs> I remember that one showed at SIF like a couple years ago. I mean, eight nine years ago now, but yeah. yeah, no, they're they're real bad. And like even like watching some of the trailers for his newer ones, I'm like, this looks so bad. <laughs> so bad. Oh. It's good to know though that uh that you know a little weed can inc- uh not increase your enjoyment. Yeah, increase your enjoyment of movies. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean I was thinking about that too. It's just it kinda helps me not get distracted. Like I don't think about checking my cell phone. Right. And I don't think about like getting on Facebook. You just settle in and enjoy. Yeah, it's sort of like taking like the scenic route someplace. Like yeah. you just you're enjoying the scenery and you're enjoying the journey a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You're not wondering when the movie's going to be over. You're not you know wondering what you're going to do after the movie. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of sit back and like just enjoy the movie for what it is a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> maybe that's how we should have done our Joel Schumacher double feature. I did get stoned for that. Oh God. <laughs> And it didn't help. In fact, it just harshed my buzz. <laughs> well, we can't solve every problem, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, there are definitely limits to that problem. <laughs> we call it the Schumacher roof. <laughs> when the problem is so bad, drugs can't help it anymore. <laughs> the Schumacher ceiling, that's yeah. what it's called. Still welcome to come on, Joel. <laughs> we'll, we'll have you any time. Love to talk to you. Water, ice, you name it. <laughs> what are we watching next week? I think that we haven't watched anything nearly violent enough. Oh, gosh, okay. So I'm, I'm going to do do a bit of uh, the ultra-violence, as the kids are saying these days. Mm-hmm. And when I say the kids these days, I mean kids from, like, 1977. <laughs> uh, I challenge you to Universal Soldier 4, Day of Reckoning. Okay. Uh, the only thing that you really need to know, you know, it can be tough jumping in into the fourth installment of a franchise. Uh, the first Universal Soldier, I don't know if you ever saw that one. I didn't. It's really, like, not even trying to pretend that it's not a ripoff of Terminator or RoboCop. Okay. Like, if you watch it, like, if you've seen RoboCop and you've seen Terminator 1 or 2, just imagine a really boring, bland version of those movies. Okay. That's what the first Universal Soldier is. Is Universal Soldier Steven Seagal? No, it's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, JCVD. Yes. Uh, so the villain in the first movie was Dolph Lundgren. Right. Okay, I kind of remember that. And this is the first movie that reunites them again. Okay. It's also got Scott Atkins in it, who is a total hottie. All right. Uh, but the director of this movie must just gotten free creative control to do whatever the hell he wanted okay because it is so remarkably different from the previous three movies in a positive way in a very positive way i've heard people compare it positively to david lynch 
the Wachowskis, and Gaspard Noé. Wow. Yes. Wow, I'm excited now. So, yeah. Do I need to do I need to know any backstory um, from the first ones, or can I just jump in? They're super soldiers. They've been created in a lab to be the ultimate soldier. And I Dolph remember the tra- that from the trailer, yeah. actually. Now that you're saying, I've definitely seen the trailer. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, you should be. We haven't done something super action-y yet. That's either. why I wanted to do this one. Super, super duper. <laughs> um, Get your edible ready. <laughs> ready edibles. <laughs> Blanket. Comfy pants. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what you've heard, uh, please do some rating and reviewing on the iTunes website. Uh, or whatever it is. Wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you could please like or subscribe to the page on Facebook. Uh, Which is Rated X Movies. Yes. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at X Rated Movies. There's some fun stuff happening there. And feel free to email us at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Yeah. That one always comes with, uh, our response comes with a free kitten pick. <laughs> so, incentive. Uh, we'll see you next week. For Universal Soldier 4. Bye.